Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the book of John as we continue our journey through the book of John and chapter 7. John chapter 7. As we started to look through the uh, through chapter 7 last week, we looked at the, the timing and the unbelief of Jesus' brothers and how their thoughts of how Jesus should advance his ministry did not line up with the will of the Father. The brothers thought that Jesus should use the Feast of Tabernacles as a platform to do more miracles and said, you know, you should go up right away. Uh, But Jesus knew that the Father's timing for him to give himself as a sacrifice, his hour, as as he called it, was not yet. It was not yet come. And Jesus, instead of subjecting himself to the time of maybe humanly thought that it was the best thing to do, he chose to believe the will of the Father and align himself with the opportunities that God's mighty power could be known best. So now we look at the rest of this chapter, and the rest of this chapter is, is a lot of narrative, and it, it discusses the middle of the feast. It, it actually gives us the time periods, the middle of the feast, and then the last part, the last day of the feast when Jesus reveals himself. And Jesus has come into this feast uh, secretly, not not anyone knowing who he he was. But as he is teaching in the synagogue, while he's there secretly, every statement is revealing more and more about who Jesus is. So as we read this passage, you'll notice the constant puzzle that these Jews are trying to figure out. They're trying to sort through all these pieces, and uh, that, that puzzle is Jesus. They're, they're trying to figure him out. They, they don't ask this directly, but their heart says, who is this Jesus? Who is he? You know, people often have misconceptions about who Jesus is. They're introduced to him several different ways. Sometimes they're introduced to him by hypocrisy, and so they get a wrong view of who Jesus is. During the ending of our narrative here in chapter 7, Jesus is showing to the Jews who he is. He's he's introducing himself to them and what their need is. So let's begin reading in verse 14. It says, Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Jesus' heart for every single person here is not to live a life that is puzzled by who Jesus is. Jesus' will for every single person sitting in this room is to that he would want to reveal himself to you so that you know his nature, you know him personally before you get to heaven. The song uh, written uh, by Fanny Crosby, My Savior, first of all, the chorus is, I shall know him. I shall know him by the nail prints in his hand. And when I get to heaven, I want to know him. I want to know him personally, not because I'll recognize him necessarily just by the prints in his hands, but I want to know the nature of God because he wants to so reveal himself to me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as you, uh, as we read this narrative of just you revealing yourself to the Jews and you wanting to show them their need, 
Lord, I pray that you would expose our needs. Lord, there's many needs represented in this, in this room. Lord, my heart, Lord, a heart sitting in the pews here this morning. Lord, I ask that you would shed your light of your word on us. And Lord, would you, would you expose and would you heal? Lord, would you put some balm on this morning? Lord, so that we can, we can truly serve you and truly love you the way we should. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever tried to put together an 1,000-piece puzzle? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, maybe you've put all the pieces out on the table. You've started outlining it. I guess that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to build the edges. Is that right? Um, and and you're trying, and each piece that you look at reveals something to the effect of what the, the grand picture is supposed to look like, but it's frustrating because you can't find the right piece. Now, it's not a perfect analogy, partially because we can eventually figure out in a thousand-piece puzzle, but when you look at Jesus in all of his glory, and, and he is trying to to reveal himself to us piece by piece who he is, we can often get frustrated that we don't understand the big picture. We don't understand him as a whole. And so we choose not to have a relationship with him. We choose to stop trying. Unbelievers who don't understand who God is, they say, I can't understand that, therefore it must not be true. Believers who claim to be blood-bought, who, who, who claim to know God, cannot understand him because they choose not to. They choose, I, I can't understand him as a whole, therefore I'm going to have doubts throughout the rest of my life, and they believe lies of the devil. Even as Aaron was talking this morning, God revealed to him some lies that he was believing. Christians can believe those kind of lies, that we cannot have a, a, a personal relationship with God right now here on earth. While Jesus was secretly here at the feast... Because it was his not, not his hour to die, Jesus was at the same time revealing himself on every single word that he was giving to these Jews. So as we examine the, God's word here this morning, I want to pause after each time Jesus speaks, and we're going to ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? We just read verse 14, and in the middle, that's the middle of the great feast. The feast was eight days. For those of you maybe that weren't with us last week, it was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is where they would celebrate God's deliverance out of the land of Egypt. And they would set up tents because that's how, that's how the Israelites dwelt. And they, for eight days, the Sabbath being on one end of, of, the, of the feast and, the, and then a second Sabbath, on the second end of the feast, eight days they would celebrate this. And here in the middle, Jesus is now teaching. So on the fourth or the fifth day, it doesn't give us the exact day, here he comes, and, and this is the first thing that causes the Jews to question. Verse 15, And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Now, they were not wondering how he learned his ABCs, okay? That was not the thing in question here. They were wondering how he knew the letters of the law, how he knew the epistles, uh, not, the, not the New Testament, but the Old Testament that they had. How does he know this? He, he hadn't had a human teacher, and this puzzled the Jews. 
The Jews were puzzled at Jesus' knowledge of the Scripture. He hasn't studied under the major teachers that we know of. So how does this man come in here and, and teach the Scriptures so eloquently? How does he know this? Jesus had never been taught the Word because he was the Word. He is the Word of God. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Jesus Christ. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In verse 14 it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That is Jesus Christ. That is who He is. That is what He did. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we ask the question, who is this Jesus? What is he revealing himself to, the, to these Jews? He's revealing himself that he knows all, and he doesn't have a human teacher. He's omniscient, and he is the Word of God. Secondly, we look at that uh, the teaching of the Scripture was not about him, but about the Father that sent him. Look at verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine but his that sent me. If any man will to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. While God was in the flesh, he was not here to point people to himself. He was here for one purpose, and that was to reveal the Father to us, to reveal who the Father was. Just as maybe a, a illustration to kind of uh, give this a picture in our mind, if you think of a herald, one who goes forth and proclaims the message of the king, a herald does not speak of, the, uh, speak of himself. He's not there to, to bring glory to himself. He's there to bring glory to the king and the king's message. And Jesus, you say, Jesus, but, but Jesus was the king. He was God. He wasn't just a herald. Yes, but Philippians 2 tells us that he took upon him what? The form of a servant. The form of a servant that would bring glory to God. The form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So what do we, who is Jesus here? Who is this Jesus? He was sent from the Father. And he was one who became man for us. He didn't have to do that, but that's what he chose to do. Even before, it says, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world, that's what he chose to do. Before there was ever sin committed, God had already made a plan of redemption that would be enacted on the, on the part of this human race, on, the, on your part and on my part, to deliver us from sin. Before the foundation of the world. The Jews pretended that they, that they, they had zeal for the law. They pretended that, that, that they, they were all good when it came to those kind of things. Uh, zeal, in verse 19, we see, Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep the law? Jesus is asking them. You know what Moses gave you, but you don't, you don't keep it. Why go ye about to kill me? The Jews had a zeal to keep the law. They had a zeal to tithe, to give a tenth of everything they had. 
They had a zeal to uh, do all of the Ten Commandments that Moses gave them, and yet that zeal that, that they were trying to accuse Jesus of, 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 of working on the Sabbath was covering up their own breaking of the law. Jesus points it out. He says, and yet none of you keepeth the law. None of you keep the law. Why go ye about to kill me? This happens when, real, when, when Christians are not real. When Christians, when, when, a, when a facade of, uh, of, of Christianity comes up and, 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 and when they're trying to, to cover the breaking of God's law. When, when a Christian says, you know, I, 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 I know I'm not obeying God's law fully, but I'm going to point out what all these other people are doing, and that'll make me feel better. It's a Christian that's not being real. And that's, it's hypocrisy. You've probably seen it. But who is Jesus? And why is Jesus pointing this out? It's because he's revealing himself. That's who he is. He is the truth. That's what he told his brothers earlier on in chapter 7. He said in... Uh, in uh, find it verse 7 verse 7 of chapter 7 the world cannot hate you but me it hateth because i testify of it my life testifies that the works thereof are evil jesus very life exposes our need of him his life his light exposes our sin and that is who jesus is their zeal didn't only try to cover up their own sin. Their zeal disregarded the miraculous. Verse 20, the people answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. And Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. And Jesus, that one work, that was the, the healing of the man at, at the pool of Bethsaida. When Jesus Christ, on the Sabbath, made a man completely whole. He was sitting there waiting for some pool to stir so that he could be made whole. And Jesus comes up and said, you are clean. You are clean. I'm, I'm going to make you clean. So who is, who is this Jesus? He's a miracle worker. He's a miracle worker. He's the one that can cleanse not just your body, but the entirety of you and make you whole and right with God. That's the word justified, declared righteous, that Jesus Christ is the only one can, that can do that. A zeal they had that judged by appearance and not by righteous judgment. Verse 22, Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. So Jesus is comparing here. He's saying, I worked a work on the Sabbath. You also do work on the Sabbath, uh, a cleansing type of work. It's, he said, it, verse 23, If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, and ye are angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Here we see, who is this Jesus? He's the righteous judge. He does everything right. And Jesus is saying, if, if you go about, if you have such a zeal for the law, and you do an act of cleansing on the Sabbath, and you're not even thinking twice about it, what if Jesus, the Christ, 
can heal someone on the Sabbath day. You know, that's the best, the best thing that could happen on a Sunday is for someone to say, Jesus, I'm in need of you, and to be cleansed every whit whole, every single bit of me whole and declared righteous. That's exactly what Jesus wants to do. And these people are getting angry at him because of their zeal. It was a zeal that all of, all of these things that they, they wanted, to, that wanted to see happen but were not seen happen, it was a zeal that could not stand up to the word of God that was spoken. Verse 25, Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Later on in the passage, it says, No man, no, uh, that they were speaking to the Pharisees, it said, No man speaketh like this man. There's nobody that can stand up to, the, to this, is, this is the very Christ. Look at the works that he's doing. Look at what he's telling us. This is truth. He didn't learn it from some human teacher. How is this not the very Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament scriptures? Here we see he can speak boldly because he is the very word. He is the very word. We see the Jews' plot is prevented, though. In verses 27 through 36, the Jews' plot was to take him by force. And it was because they had a misconception of who Jesus would be. Verse 27, Howbeit, we know, this is, these are the Jews speaking, this man whence he is. We know where, he, where he's come from. But when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Now, is that true? In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it, it, it declares exactly where Jesus would come from. We, we know because of the fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 28, Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. Ye know me, you know where I've come from, and you know who I am. You know who, you know who I, I've come from. The Jews thought that Jesus would be a conqueror that would come out of nowhere. Even this, this is, this is uh, uh, also confirmed just by the, the thinking of his disciples. They thought he was gonna, that they were going to rule alongside Jesus in an earthly kingdom, and they were just waiting for him to take over the tyranny of Rome and save them from their, from their captors. And, and Jesus says, that's not what I came for. I came to die. My hour's not yet come. But I came for you. I came to, to die for you. He was someone that they knew. And then Jesus gives them an introduction to someone that they don't know. And they don't like that introduction very much. Look at the middle of verse 28. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not, but I know him. That's the Father. But I know him. For I am from him, and he hath sent me. So who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And, and what is he trying to reveal to them? Saying, listen, you don't know the Father. You don't even know the Father's plan for you and how wonderful it is. But I am a direct line to the Father. I am that direct line to the Father. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one mediator between God and man, that is the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ came for the sole purpose of 
taking us by the hand, not even so that we can, we can uh, talk to him and he'll talk to the Father for us. It's not, it's not a game of telephone, but literally cutting the veil in two so that he can take us by the hand right into the presence of God the Father and that we can have direct communion with God the Father ourselves. That is who Jesus is. That is, who is this Jesus? He is the one, he is the mediator between God and man. So this plot to take Jesus by force, we look, we see in verse 30. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, Will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? If this isn't the Christ, if Christ does come later, is he going to do any more works than what this man has done? Then the Pharisees, verse 32, heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Go down to verse 44. It says, And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. And Jesus is allowing this to happen. He's allowing himself to be revealed to these Jews and who he is. But he's always in control. He's always in control of, of every single situation. He's not allowing this to happen because it's not according to the Father's timing. Many people, we see, believed on Jesus in the midst of all of it. Many people came to trust uh, God. But it was not God's plan for him to die right at that moment. It was a it, it, God's plan. It was not a not a human plan uh, that was being put in place. God's plan from the very beginning of creation, Genesis. You go back to Genesis chapter three. We see God's plan right after uh, Adam and Eve sinned. That God set up a plan that He would give His only begotten Son. Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Her seed being a human impossibility. All right. Throughout Scripture in the Old Testament talks about his seed, his seed, his seed. For a woman to have her own seed by herself, the virgin birth, a human impossibility. I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. God said, I'm going to absolutely crush the head of Satan. He thinks he's won. But before the foundation of the earth, he chose to die for you. He chose to die in your place because of the punishment that you and I deserve. And Jesus stands right here in the synagogue on the last day of the feast, and he gives a proposition to these, these Jews. Verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me, unto me and drink. Here we find the promise, the promise that thirsty sinners will never thirst again. If they come to Jesus, if they come to Jesus, a few things to note, is that everyone has this need because of sin. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how much you've tried to be a good moral person. Romans chapter 3 very clearly tells us in verse 23, For all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. We've come short of the perfections of God. And because of that, we all are in need of this water, of this living water who is Jesus. Second thing to note is that not everyone who has this need is thirsty, though. Not everyone who has this need, we know everyone has the need, but not everyone who has the need is actually thirsty. Why? It's because their thirst has been quenched by other things. Their thirst has been quenched by the philosophies of this world that tell us that man is inherently good. When we just read a verse, Romans 3.23, that says that man is not inherently good. Man, because we were cut off from God, we are the seed of Adam, we, we were, were born spiritually dead to God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 said that there is, no, there is not a righteous man, no, not one. And Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. And that is, that is what man likes to think. They, they, they quench that thirst of, of their real need of God by saying, I'm good enough. I can be morally good. I can somehow have my own thing going, and they don't realize their need. It doesn't nullify the need. It doesn't nullify the fact that they're actually thirsty, but they're not thirsty because they don't know that they need this living water. What else quenches that thirst? Material possessions. In America, we know a lot about that. You go to a third world country, and they know their need for Jesus. It's, it's all over the place. And many times, uh, there will be outbreaks of just absolute revival. Uh, that doesn't mean that that can't happen here. It's just that Satan has so lied to us that somehow these material possessions can make us happy and make us forget about our real need. Luke chapter 12, there's a parable that Jesus gives of a young man and uh, he, 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 uh, a certain rich man. In verse 16, it says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man became, uh, brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will put down my barns, and I will build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be? which thou hast provided. Those material possessions, they might bring happiness. They might bring some sense of warmth and security. But the only real security, the only real satisfaction can be found in Jesus. Who is this Jesus? He's the living water. That you can never thirst from again. We saw that back in John 4 when we looked through the woman at the well. Jesus said, come unto me. if, If you had known who I was, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. Jesus is the living water. The last thing we see that Jesus says is that he gives the promise of the comforter. 
the Holy Spirit, peace. Verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they had they that believe on him should not receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's speaking of something that is still to come. Jesus' plan, God's plan from the very design, uh, from the very uh, beginning of creation, was that Jesus should die, and that people, uh, and that Jesus should die, that, that that he should be buried, that he should be ro- risen again, and that the Comforter would come when Jesus ascended back into heaven. Later on, at the end of John and into the book of Acts, we see Jesus' ascension into heaven and the, and the disciples waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Here he says, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. You're going to receive that living water, and the Holy Spirit is not just going to be with you, he's going to be in you, and he's going to flow out from you. Who is this Jesus? He's peace that passes all understanding. He's the comforter that when accepted and experienced flows into other people's lives. Do you realize that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and the Holy Spirit moved inside of you, that peace that was given to you is not just for you. That peace that was given to you is supposed to be Rivers of living water. You're not supposed to be, I don't know how to, yeah, a cesspool. You're not supposed to be some uh, septic tank that's just constantly taking stuff in. You're supposed to be a river that flows, and not just flows, but flows directly into other people's lives so they can see the peace. You know what? is the most powerful testimony to somebody else who doesn't know Jesus is just a Christian that's real. Just a Christian that lives Jesus Christ and flows into other people's lives. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, I don't need a platform to show off miracles. I don't, I don't need all of that. I just need to re- be able to reveal myself to them. And he reveals himself. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? He's the one that you need. He's the very thing that you've been needing, the very thing that you've been looking for, but maybe you haven't realized that you really need him. Maybe you haven't realized that you've been thirsty. Jesus Christ wants to show himself to you. Jesus Christ's heart for you this morning is not to try to figure him out, not to treat him like a puzzle. He's infinitely greater and beyond our human comprehending. He can't be figured out that way. But his heart is for you to allow his glory and to allow him himself to reveal himself personally to you. Can you just just let it sink in that the God of the universe wants a personal relationship with you. The God of the universe wants you to walk with him every single day. Who is this Jesus? He's the Savior of the world. Let's pray.